Azarius Capital Management is an independent investment advisor registered with the Pennsylvania Department of Banking and Securities. This podcast is being provided for information purposes only, and it does not constitute an offer to sell or a solicitation of an offer to buy any interest in any fund managed by Azarius. Any such offer or solicitation will be made only by means of a confidential private offering memorandum. Welcome to the first edition of the Azarius Capital Management Uranium Podcast Series. Azarius Capital specializes in turnaround opportunities in the small cap value universe, and that turnaround focus often leads us to industries poised for a cyclical upturn. That certainly explains our interest in the uranium industry. And today we want to present an overview of the uranium market and our bullish thesis. I'm Darren Heitman, the founder of Azarius Capital, and today I'm joined by my colleague and partner, Chris Gillespie. Hey, Chris. How are you doing today? Good. How are you? Pretty good. Thanks for doing this uh, on, a, on a, a holiday weekend. My thought was that we could have a conversation really introducing uranium to someone who has an investment background but doesn't have any familiarity with uranium as a investment opportunity. And right. so just kind of have a big picture conversation. So my first question would be, why should anybody be interested in uranium from an investment perspective? We're bullish on uranium because we think the price of uranium is going to go from the current level of around $33, $34 to something in the 60s. It'll have a positive impact on the stocks of the companies that produce uranium. Yeah. So let's start with the basics. What is uranium even used for? The vast majority of uranium is used in nuclear power plants, and that's used to create energy. So, um, you know, almost all of uh, the uranium that is consumed today is used to make, uh, to generate electricity around the world. So nuclear power is about uh, 11 or 12% of global power and uh, 20% of the power in the U.S. So it's a very significant portion of U.S. power. Are there any other uses, like... um... I mean, so I, we all have this image of nuclear bombs exploding, but that's not really significant. Um, no, that's, that's not a significant that's small. Yeah, that's a small. Uh, that's you know, right now that's hardly anything. I, there is uh, there are a couple million pounds a year that that uh, get used to fuel uh, nuclear submarines and uh, nuclear aircraft carriers, uh, but that's that's pretty small in terms of the overall supply demand. Right. So, okay, so it's used as fuel in nuclear reactors around the world. And you said that it, um, those nuclear reactors supply around 11% of all electricity globally. Um, how many right. nuclear reactors are there that are operating today? Uh, right now, there are about 430 reactors in operation around the world. And um, in addition to that, there are about 55 new reactors that are that are currently under construction so that implies it's actually a growth industry because i know here in the u.s people have the the uh, impression that nuclear power is shrinking that the demand for uranium is probably shrinking um so what's our take on that yeah that that does seem to be a common misperception uh that uh nuclear power is a shrinking industry um i guess you know, to the extent that uh, people think that 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 works to our advantage here as investors, but um, no, it's it's definitely a growing industry. You know, with with the 55 
new reactors under construction around the world. The growth of new reactors is going to be in the range of one and a half to two percent a year over the next uh, six or seven years. So, you know, that's a pretty pretty solid uh, growth trajectory in a in an uncertain environment. Um, and once these plants, once they start building them, um, they're they're big. They take a number of years to build. They cost billions of dollars. So it's very likely that they will be completed and and operated once they're under construction. So um, it's somewhat unique uh, in terms of commodities in that we have pretty good sightline on future demand. Right. It's not economically sensitive either. Um, so let's uh, let's talk about the role of nuclear power plants as baseload electricity generators. Yeah, uh, so nuclear power, like I just said, it's they're they're expensive to build, but once you build them, they're fairly cheap to operate relative to other sources of fuel. So uh, they're cheaper to operate than than coal, and uh, they're cheaper to operate than gas, than natural gas. And so, you know, if if there is a decline in in demand for electricity, uh, that that gets taken out of the more expensive sources first. So even right. Now, during this, this pandemic, we're, we are seeing a decline in energy demand, but it's coming out of uh, coal, really primarily out of coal so far. Because nuclear is sort of down in the stack in terms of uh, cost, um, it will be, you know, the last to be cut uh, or one of the last sources to be cut. Right. Okay. Well, we want to keep this um, pretty high level. We'll, we'll do a deeper dive on demand. Um and go into uh, more detail, but that's a great overview. So demand is very visible. It's not economically sensitive. It's driven by the operation of nuclear power plants. And once those nuclear power plants are built, they run. And so demand is is, uh, just extremely steady. And there's no substitute for the fuel that they use. They use uranium to run. One thing we haven't got to yet, which uh, maybe we can wrap up our demand side, by quantifying the demand, uh, global demand picture. So we have around 430 nuclear reactors operating today, and it's going to grow to closer to 480 over the next several years. Um, so what does that mean in terms of global annual consumption, Chris? Well, that means um, we have annual uranium consumption right now is in the 200 million pound range. And... Uh, you know, again, we see that growing by one and a half to two percent a year for the foreseeable future. So, 200 million pounds growing to, you know, maybe 230 million pounds over the next uh, 10 years, something like that. Yeah. Okay. Great. Um, so, let's turn to the su- supply side. Um, so, we are bullish on uranium because we believe, and the market is telling us that. The current price of uranium doesn't justify expansion. It doesn't justify production. So if the world needs 200 million pounds, the price needs to be much higher for the mining industry to be economically incentivized to produce 200 million pounds, which is a lot more, uh, probably a lot more words than are necessary. The current price is $34, and we think the marginal cost of production is closer to the mid-60s. 
And therefore, this is a supply story. Supply is, has been coming off, um, and it's currently an undersupply situation. So with that as context, well, how much uranium do we expect to be produced in 2020, and where does it come from, Chris? Going into the year uh, before uh, the coronavirus shut down some production, we thought that there would be about 135 million pounds of uranium that would come out of mines. Um, as a result of the coronavirus, we've seen a number of production cutbacks, um, and so that number could fall to into the 110, 115 million pound range. Yeah, and, and again, this is versus demand of 200 million pounds. Um, then there's also uh, another source of supply. It's called secondary supply. It's um, supply that does not come directly out of mines. It's mostly out of, uh, you know, I guess what you'd call inventory, really. Um, um, and so that that source is about 35 million pounds and is also in decline. Um, so, you know, in terms of overall supply, probably somewhere in the neighborhood of 150 million pounds this year versus demand of 200 million pounds. Yeah, that's a good backdrop. The the um, So whatever excess supply was out there is being rapidly worked down. And according to our estimates, it's like 50 million pounds just in this year. Um, one of the things right. that I think we could, I mean, again, we want to keep this high level for people who are new to this to this um, investment thesis in this industry. You refer to secondary supply as inventory, which I think is a little bit misleading. Um, at least in our work, we've separated what we consider secondary supply from true inventory reductions. And when I think about secondary supply in our model, it's really a byproduct of the processing of raw material, raw uranium, into a usable fuel. And that consistently, year after year, will produce some excess supply, or not excess supply, it produces incremental supply over and above what's brought out of the ground. And that probably deserves its own 30-minute explanation. But for now, I consider that a byproduct. And that's we consider that... Um, a steady source of supply, but it's going to shrink from 35 million to something closer to 15 million. Is that is that uh, a fair summary of our view of that? Yeah, probably 15 or 20 million. Um, yeah, and I apologize for uh, calling inventory. I was just, as you said, trying to keep it keep it simple. Yeah, that is that is a fairly consistent source of supply that uh, is likely to be. To be shrinking from 35 million to somewhere in the neighborhood of 20 million, I should say. So yeah. Well, the reason I wanted to make that distinction is because I wanted to segue into what got us into this oversupplied situation to begin with. I mean, so every commodity cycle has the same generic story. There's uh, overproduction and an oversupply, and that drives the price of that commodity down usually below the incremental cost of production and so supply shrinks and then the excess production and inventory is worked off and price recovers the cure for low prices is low prices and uh, then the, it all plays out in the opposite way 
and you go through right. that over and over again. So uranium found itself in an excess supplied situation, and it's probably worth walking through how how did how did we get here um, for someone who's who's sure. not familiar with what happened. Yeah, sure. So um, in 2011, uh, we think that supply and demand of uranium were fairly well balanced, and uh, the price of uranium was in the mid $60 range, $60 a pound. Um, and then um, the tsunami hit uh, the Fukushima reactor in Japan and um, caused uh, caused an outage there. And um, as a result of that, Japan closed down all of its nuclear reactors. And uh, they had about 45 reactors operating at that time. And so that uh, was an immediate decline in demand of about 20 million pounds a year of uranium. So it was a very big hit to the uranium uh, demand. And so as a result, the industry was geared up to supply that th those reactors. So there was 20 million pounds a year of uh, extra supply. And so um, that took a long time uh, for uh, that supply to, to close down. Um, and so the price went from 65 and, and over the next uh, five years went down to, it bottomed out, I think, around $17 in, in, in 2016. Um, so because there was there was too much supply. And so as a result of uh, that price decline, a fair amount of supply has been um, closed. Uh, 38 million pounds of production has been closed uh, over the last several years as a result of um, the big decrease in, in the price. So that's how we got to to where we are. And over that time period, inventory built up because the supply was there and the demand went away overnight. Uh, but we think now as a result of all the closures and as a result of um, increased demand because of new new uranium uh, reactors that have come online in the last several years, demand is now back to where it was in 2011. Uh, and supply is uh, below that level. So that inventory is now in the process of coming down. And as we mentioned earlier in this earlier, we think that uh, as a result of uh, events this year, we think most of the excess inventory that built up from 2011 to 2017 will be gone by the end of this year. That's a that's a really good point, and I probably should have led off at the very beginning of why people should care. Not only not only care. Uh, Investors should care theoretically because we expect this bull market, but also why now? And I think that comes back to what you just said. We've done that inventory analysis and determined that maybe 150 million pounds of excess inventory had accumulated during this bear market for uranium when there's overproduction. But that flipped to underproduction in 2017 roughly. And like you just said, by the end of this year, all of that excess inventory will be washed away and uh, worked off. And um, you should set us up for an undersupplied market starting next year. Right. Now, one of the questions I get on a regular basis when I'm first introducing this to uh, potential investors is, why is there any production? If, if we're saying that the current price of uranium is below the marginal cost production, why Why is anybody producing? Why hasn't this market already cleared? Yeah. 
Uh, well, two reasons for that. First is that uh, the way this market operates is under long-term contracts. So when the price was $60 back in 2011, buyer, the buyers of nuclear fuel were willing to sign contracts with uranium miners to pay them, you know, $60 a pound, $70 a pound out for five to 10 years to, to supply them. So a lot of the uh, uranium miners have been um, able to still operate at a profit, even though the stock price would not allow them to do that. They have contracts that, that do allow them to do that. Now, like I said, those contracts are probably average six years or something like that. So most of those are, are have expired or are expiring uh, in the near term. And so um, as that as that happens, we are seeing um, supply continuing to come off. But um, so that's that's one reason. And then the second reason is, you know, there's a cost curve. So the marginal supplier has costs in the sixty dollars plus pound range, but um, there's there are a number of producers that can that can produce in the uh, thirty dollar pound range. And so price right now is thirty four. It was it's been in the twenties for a while, but uh, you know some of these some of these mines have been able to um, to produce at you know near break even levels or slight profitability levels at, even at this low price. Right. If even if uh, they uh, even if they're selling into the spot market, but that's a very small amount of industry volume that actually gets cleared right. in the spot market, and that's and I hope to do a follow up conversation and podcast where we discuss long-term contracting in more detail but for for my purposes when i'm introducing uranium to someone new i just summarize it by saying uranium is just not a spot market the price is not discovered in the spot market not not really right 90 percent of the volume is transacted under what what we've referred to as long-term contracts and you could think about those long-term contracts as they're really privately negotiated for forward futures contracts. So if I'm a utility right. and I need to have a million pounds to consume as fuel in 2026, I'm actually going to start talking to the miners, uh, the suppliers of uranium now, and start negotiating delivery for a million pounds of uranium in 2026 and I'll strike a price with the the supplier and that's actually how the market clears um, and that has its own cycle so for now I think we'll leave it at that we just want to introduce some of these concepts to the the person who's new to the space but um, right. but that's an important concept to to come back to later and explain in more detail yeah definitely but it's definitely one of the reasons there's still been production. I mean, the spot price may have been 16, 16 or $17 in 20, 2016. But the pounds that were consumed that year were delivered under long-term contracts. So the miners actually realized prices in the 40s, 50s, maybe in some cases 70s. Um, right. So they were able to keep their okay. doors open. Maybe one other concept uh, on the supply side. We could go a few different ways here, but there is shut-in capacity right now. So you mentioned earlier that 35 million pounds of production had been taken offline during this last few years in this bear market, and that'll help clear the market. What's our view on once pricing gets back to a normal level, uh, how fast 
production can come back online and will that negate or at least truncate a really strong multi-year bull market? So we, the, the biggest part of that, the shutdown capacity is Cameco has shut down a very large, the largest and one of the lowest cost uh, mines in the world at uh, MacArthur River. And um, so that definitely will come back, but um, they think that it will take them at least a year to ramp up to full production. And um, they have said that they will not uh, reopen that mine until prices are at least into the 40s with escalators beyond that. So they, they're not going to reopen it until they get contracts that have base prices probably in the mid to high 40s that, that escalate beyond that uh, into, in the out years. And then the, the other mines that, that, quote, have higher costs than that. So, you know, we do believe that production, you know, a fair amount of that production will come back, probably 30 million pounds of it will come back, um, but it won't come back until prices are probably in the 50s. And, um, you know, it's our belief that uh, the market is going to need need that production because, as we talked about earlier, we're already short right now somewhere around 50 million pounds this year. Um, if you assume that the production that's shut down due to the coronavirus comes back next year, then you're sort of you're still structurally short 30, 35 million pounds a year. So, you know, even if all that production comes back, uh, you still have demand that's, that's greater than supply. Yeah, that is definitely a key part of why we're so bullish is because the, the shut-in capacity won't meet consumption needs uh, in the mid-2020s, according to our estimates. But... We do know that there are some mines under development. Will they be enough to meet demand going forward? We don't think that the mines that will be developed will will cause a supply-demand imbalance either. You know, as you look out, say, over the next 10 years, there are some, some big projects, NextGen's Arrow Project, which is a 25 million pound a year project. That's probably going to be the first big project that would that would come online. On the other hand, that Cameco has a large mine, Cigar Lake, that produces about 18 million pounds a year that's set to expire in the back half of the uh, 2020s. So there certainly are projects that could come on, but as you look at the overall supply-demand picture, when you look at uh, supply, you have Cigar Lake, 18 million pounds coming off. You have uh, a couple other projects in Africa that are set to close down here over the next couple of years that, are, that produce 6 or 7 million pounds a year. Uh, and then you also just have natural depletion of mines. The general rule of thumb is that mines deplete by a couple percent a year, but we'll just use 1% a year. That that would mean, you know, another 13 million pounds goes away over the next 10 years, just for example. So, you know, we think there are, um, there are certainly projects that will be developed over the next 10 years, but uh, it doesn't appear to us in our analysis that those projects will... Um, overwhelm the market you know we're, we're as we said we're short structurally by 30 let's say 30 million pounds right now and demand's going up by another 30 million pounds so you know we need we need the uh shut-in capacity to restart and we need new mines to be developed so and and when you think about uh, there are definitely smaller projects million pound a year type projects that can be developed at uh without a huge upfront expense maybe 35 million dollars or something like that but when you are talking about these bigger mines, 
the bigger mines that might produce 8, 10, 15 million pounds a year. Those all cost upwards of a billion dollars. And so that's a big upfront investment. So people want to be pretty sure that um, they're going to be able to earn a return on that investment. So those things are going to take high prices. And contracts. We've heard consistently in yeah. our, our work and listening to company executives say that to get financing, they're going to need contracts in place. Um, and and obviously, those contracts will have attractive economics, and then they can get financing. It kind of goes, uh, sounds like it goes hand in hand. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So we could go on. I mean, there's plenty to cover. It's a, It's a fascinating industry, but I think that that's a pretty good overview for somebody who's new to the space. I mean, it's really a straightforward supply and demand analysis. It's very easy to forecast demand. Um, now, we could be wrong on the number of nuclear reactors that are operating, but without a disaster, we, we won't be off by a significant amount, and we know how many pounds a year that those reactors consume as fuel. So, so demand is very, very visible, not economically sensitive. Same on the supply side. I mean, we there's a little bit more opaqueness on the supply side, but if you're looking at a multi-year period, that's also very visible. And our supply numbers are unlikely to be off by large amounts, enough to disrupt our the supply deficit that we see. I mean, that's the difference in this commodity versus others that we've looked at in the past, the supply deficit in the out years is bigger than 10%. And without increased production, it's it, it, it really, it's an obscene amount of uh, shortfall, like 30%, which can't happen. I mean, these countries' nuclear plans um, and, and the, the importance of nuclear generating capacity is, is a national security issue for China, even for the United States. Um, really, Right. Every company, every country that has a nuclear program, it, it, it's a national security issue. And so they're not going to allow a lack of uranium disrupt their plans. And so the price will very likely go up to a level that stimulates production. These plants need to run. So I guess maybe to uh, recap, we think the price of uranium is going to at least double from here. We think that the equities that have exposure to that could potentially have more upside than that. They have a beta of significantly greater than one in some cases. Um, and so uh, we're, we're extremely bullish on miners of uranium and believe that the supply and demand outlook is, is extremely favorable. And I guess most importantly, we believe that that supply deficit is going to be obvious in the next 12 to 18 months and results in our thesis really starting to play out in the markets. Do you have anything else Anything else to add there, Chris? No, no. I think that's a very good uh, introduction to, to the uh, fascinating world of uranium. <laughs> All right. Well, let's, uh, we'll end it at that and we'll plan on doing deeper dives in each of these topics at a later date. So thanks for your time, Chris. Okay. Yeah, thank you, Darren.